When you meet the love of your life, you would never think that actually you've just met your killer. Claims of abuse and self-defence would actually turn out to be an unhealthy, jealous obsession. Hey Coffee and Crimers, I'm your host, Belle Fagan. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Travis Alexander was born in 1977 and had a pretty difficult childhood. He was one of seven kids and his parents were struggling drug addicts. His mum would regularly beat all of them. But thankfully, at the age of 10, he moved in with his grandmother, who he described as a living, breathing saint. Then, when his dad died in 1997, his brothers and sisters also moved in. By the time he was grown, he'd broken the toxic family cycle and made a pretty good success of himself. He moved to Mesa, Arizona, performed stand-up comedy under the alter ego Eddie Snell, converted to Mormonism and got a job as a network marketer and motivational speaker for a company offering legal services. In fact, it was because of that job that he met the love of his life. In September 2006, the company was holding a conference in Las Vegas. Ready to work and party, Travis met Jody Arias, a freelance photographer three years younger than him from Palm Desert in California. She was also on the trip to Vegas for the same convention as she had just started work for the same company as a network marketer. Friends later said that it was a mutual love at first sight. They remember Travis telling them that the day after he'd met Jodie that they'd stayed up till 4am just talking and he knew he had found his wife. He described her to them as beautiful, sweet, friendly, with long blonde hair and a cute figure. Despite the distance between where they lived, they began dating and he was convinced he'd hit the wife jackpot with Jodie and he would tell anyone that would listen. Things were great they travelled together and two months after meeting, Jodie even converted to Mormonism, proving just how serious her commitment to Travis was. In fact, he was the one who baptised her. 
but cracks did start to appear. Now both Mormons, every time they slept together, Travis felt guilty, as a core value of their religion was to abstain until marriage. So every time his guilt would rear its ugly head, he took it out on Jodie, calling her a slut and other profanities in text messages. Jodie was also showing toxic behaviour of her own. She was paranoid about Travis's every move and would eavesdrop on his conversations, look through his emails and social media, even going as far as forwarding any emails between Travis and other women to herself. I don't know about you, but that is definitely giving me bunny boiler vibes. In an interview with ABC, one of Travis's close friends called Skye explained that she was terrified that they would find Travis chopped up in a freezer and she even told him that. He just laughed it off and said that Jodie was a good person and that he loved her. Another friend also noticed her super behaviour and they too told ABC that one night a group of them were all in the hot tub just chatting and hanging out but Jodie was climbing all over Travis while the rest of them were literally just trying to have a normal conversation. And by all over him, they described it like a 13-year-old whose parents were out of town. Like she was straddling his lap and sucking on his neck and he kept just trying to push her off and be like, Jodie, get off me. Like, what are you doing? And the friend remembers looking at her husband and saying, does she not realise we're sitting here? Like, you know, you've been in that situation too you're kind of like, get a room, and it's super uncomfortable, and this is what they felt. And they also remember that this was the kind of time that she started getting super, super possessive over him. They described the night as just totally weird and as her being totally weird. And although, like I said, Travis had kind of shrugged everything off, a while later, he did decide to break things off with Jodie. He told her that he just couldn't deal with the guilt of them sleeping together and not being married. So they agreed to stay friends, which they did, but really, what should have been a huge red flag happened. After the breakup, she moved from California to Arizona. Okay, so that's after the breakup that she makes this massive move to Travis's hometown. So now living nearby and staying friends meant that they still saw each other, talked to each other and knew what the other one was doing. And all of this just made Jodie's earlier obsession with Travis a million times worse. He started casually dating other women and Jodie's response was to slash his tyres, hack into his Facebook, harass the women and she even snuck into his house and hid. And this is the crazy part. So if you didn't think sneaking into his house and hiding was crazy, this really is crazy. Obviously, sometimes Travis would be super mad, like who wouldn't be? But other times he'd find her in the house and instead of getting mad, they would sleep together. Basically, whatever you want to call what they had going on, it was as toxic as heck. When he started dating a woman called Lisa, Jodie would scare her by knocking on her door or her windows and then running away. And it was Lisa he was dating when his tyres were slashed twice, and both times he believed it was Jodie behind it. But she would deny it when he would confront her. Finally, after about eight months of living in Arizona, Jodie moved back to California and in with her grandparents. Travis was super relieved, but honestly, this girl must have been his kryptonite because as much as he told friends that he finally felt like he had his life back and things were going to get back to normal, he was still communicating with her a lot. But in May 2008, in an email, it did kind of appear that the two of them had had a huge fight, with Travis essentially foreshadowing his death. He told a friend, don't be surprised if you find me dead one day. 
And that day came. On June 9th, 2008, Travis's friends were starting to get worried. They hadn't heard from him for five days, and what made that even more worrying was that they'd all been in the middle of organising a group trip to Mexico, and Travis wasn't responding to the most recent messages. And the trip was for the next day. He was taking along a girl called Mimi that he was interested in. He'd also missed a work conference call, which totally was not like him. So a few of them decided to go to his house, including Mimi, the girl that he was going to be taking to Mexico. They asked his roommate if they knew where he was, and he was like, uh, isn't he meant to be in Mexico with you guys? And that's when they found Travis's lifeless body in the shower. Just for clarification, he had his own room and bathroom, so his roommate had no reason to go into Travis's part of the house. Aged only 30, he'd not only been shot in the head, but he'd been stabbed 27 times and had his throat slit. Medical examiner Kevin Horn would later testify that Travis's jugular vein and trachea had been slashed and that he had defensive wounds on his hands. He also said that it was likely that he was already dead by the time the gunshot wound was inflicted. There's no way you could look at these injuries and not have it scream a crime of passion. It was brutal and personal. When investigators showed up, they found long hairs, a digital camera in the washing machine and a bloody handprint on the wall. Travis's friends pled with them to investigate Jodie immediately. There was no doubt in their mind that she had done this. They told police about her obsession and her stalking. You can even hear them in the 911 call that they made when they found Travis telling the dispatcher that he had a stalker and that her name was Jodie Arias. But before they could call her, she called them. She said she'd heard about Travis and as a close friend, was there anything that she could do to help the investigation? She told detectives that she'd spoken to him on the morning of his death as she was driving from California to Utah to meet up with a new guy that she was dating and to attend some business meetings. Interestingly, when this guy was later interviewed, he said that Jodie had turned up a day later than she'd said she would. Her blonde hair was now brown and she had cuts all over her hands. Police also found that when she'd left Utah on June the 6th, she'd called Travis's phone a few times and left several voicemails. Police laid out their version to her and she denied everything. She told investigators that she hadn't seen Travis for at least a couple of months, except the digital camera told a different story. Even though the camera was waterlogged, investigators managed to use the memory card and save some of the images. And what they found was not the story that Jodie was telling them. Time stamped with the date of June 4th, which was estimated as the date of death, there were pictures of Jodie and Travis in bed together, and then of Travis in the shower. The next photo shocked them to the core. It was of Travis on the floor of the shower, bleeding. Even seeing those photos, she still denied ever being there, instead saying that she'd driven to Utah, had gotten lost, and her phone had died, which is why she'd got there a day late. Police then told her that they'd also interviewed the car rental clerk, who'd said that the car was missing its floor mats and had red stains on its front and back seats. The car had also done 2,800 miles, which was way more than just her going to Utah and back. Frustratingly, the red stains couldn't be analysed as the car had already been cleaned before the police could examine it. They had more than enough evidence, though. And after a night in jail, and basically with no way of getting out of the obvious... Jodie admitted that yes, she had been with Travis the day that he had been killed, 
but she hadn't been the one to kill him. Her version went like this. She'd driven to Travis's house on June 4th, they'd gone to bed and she'd started taking photos of him there and in the shower. While they were in the shower, two masked intruders suddenly appeared and murdered him. Gotta love the whole random masked intruder stories, right? These masked intruders then threatened to kill Jodie's family if she told anyone about it. Obviously, investigators weren't buying what she was selling and Jodie was arrested with first-degree murder charges. Jodie's trial was considered one of the biggest spectacles since O.J. Simpson. The New York Times likened it and its ratings to a soap opera. The media coverage had ratings like they had never seen before. It was honestly insane. With its mix of jealousy, religion, murder and sex, people were literally acting like fans of a TV show. Jodie pleaded not guilty and the trial began in January 2013, four and a half years after Travis's death. And the prosecution weren't playing. They came in hard and they wanted the death penalty to be on the table. They also offered up even more proof that Jodie had killed Travis. They told the jury that Jodie and Travis's DNA had been found within the bloody handprint on the wall and that Travis had been killed with the same type of gun that conveniently had recently gone missing from Jodie's grandparents' house in a robbery that the prosecution said that she staged. They argued that Jodie had originally been going on the Mexico trip, but at the last minute, Travis had changed his mind and invited Mimi, this girl we talked about earlier. This had sent her into a jealous rage, so she went to his house with the sole intention of seducing him and then killing him. They also found receipts showing that she had gotten a jerry can of fuel just before she left her hometown so that she could hide her trip to Travis's house by not having to stop and be caught on CCTV buying more fuel. The defence, however, told an entirely different story. Jodie's version was that she had killed Travis in self-defence. She said that they'd been falling around in bed and then in the shower and he had flipped when she dropped the camera in the water and that she was forced to kill him to protect herself. Her lawyer said, quote, Jodie's life was in danger. He knocked her to the ground in the bathroom and there was a struggle. If she didn't defend herself, she would not be here, end quote. Let's not forget that this is now her third version of events. The first was that she wasn't even there. She was in Utah getting lost. The second was that it was masked intruders. And now her third defence is that it was self-defence. They painted Travis as someone addicted to sex and pornography who physically, verbally and emotionally abused Jodie. Not only that, but Jodie testified that Travis was a closet paedophile. Professionals testified that she was suffering with PTSD from her abusive childhood and was in fight or flight mode when she attacked Travis. The prosecution's witness, though, said she didn't have PTSD, she wasn't a victim of abuse, but instead had borderline personality disorder. Travis's family took her defence hard, accusing her essentially of killing him for a second time by destroying his reputation when he wasn't even around to defend himself. Now, remember that I said the trial was being eaten up by the public and had become like a soap opera. And it's not surprising. One of the defence's medical witnesses, the one who said Jodie had PTSD, was accused of forming a relationship with her. Then three of the jury were removed during the trial, one for misconduct, one for ill health, and another who was arrested for a DUI. It also came out that artwork drawn by Jodie herself was selling on eBay. The seller was actually her brother, and he claimed that the profits were going towards covering the family's travel expenses to get to the trial, 
and for better food, in inverted commas, for Jodie while she was in jail. Her friend was also running a Twitter account on her behalf where she would relay Jodie's words to her followers. It is literal craziness. The trial lasted four months, with the jury, after 15 hours of deliberation, convicting Jodie of first-degree murder. In order to get the death penalty, though, the prosecution had to convince the jury that the murder was cruel, heinous, or depraved. By this point, Jodie's lawyers wanted out, and they asked numerous times if they could step down from the case, but they weren't allowed. So they didn't really say very much to the jury during this part. And it just gave me the whole Johnny Depp, Amber Heard vibes, like her lawyers, by the time it was like the end of the trial, I'm sure you watched it, it was like they just wanted out. And it's very similar in Jodie's case. It was a two-part process. The jury agreed on the death penalty for the first part, but not on the second part. And in order for her to receive it, both parts had to be a unanimous decision from the jury. So it came down to the judge to decide on the length of the prison sentence. Travis's sisters gave tearful statements asking for Jodie to receive the harshest of punishments. They told the judge that Jodie's supporters throughout the trial had harassed their family, sending pictures of their brother's dead body, his autopsy photos, his blackened face and slit throat to their emails and Facebook pages. Jodie's mum, however, begged for leniency for her daughter. And then Jodie herself gave a testimony, asking for life with parole after 25 years. Her statement read, quote, It's my firm belief that death would bring me untold peace and freedom. If I die today, I would be free and I would be at peace. For years, that's exactly what I wanted. But I have to fight for my life just like I did on June 4th, 2008, because I realise how selfish it would be for me to escape accountability for this mess that I created. To this day, I cannot believe I was capable of doing something that terrible. I'm truly disgusted and I'm repulsed with myself. I wish there was some way I could take it back. End quote. She also held up a white t-shirt with the word survivor written across it, telling the jurors that she would sell the clothing and donate all proceeds to victims of domestic abuse. She also said that she would continue to donate her hair to Locks of Love while in prison, which she had already done three times while in jail. So with the death penalty now off the table, the judge handed her a life sentence with no parole meaning that she would spend the rest of her life on earth behind bars. Jodie was gobsmacked. She was reported as saying, quote, I actually feel really let down by the jury. I was really hoping that they would see things for what they are. I didn't expect to walk away. I knew that was a possibility, a slim chance in a parallel universe somewhere, but certainly not first degree, end quote. It's not surprising that she'd said that either, as during her trial, something that has never happened before happened. She'd done an interview with the TV show 48 Hours while waiting for her trial to begin, and a clip of her interview was played for the court. They heard and watched the clip where Jodie said, quote, No jury is going to convict me because I am innocent, and you can mark my words on that. No jury is going to convict me. End quote. So yeah, I'm not surprised she was gobsmacked when they did because she really believed that they wouldn't. Her trial was reported to have cost the state $3 million. And in June 2015, Jodie was ordered to pay Travis's siblings $32,000 in restitution. 10 years on from her sentencing and 15 years since Travis's death, and now 42 years old, 
Jodie is serving her time in a woman's prison in Arizona. In 2020, her appeal was rejected, but in 2021, she was reclassified to a low security wing of the prison and now works in the prison library. Travis's family haven't publicly spoken about his death since the verdict, but two of his friends did write a book, and if you want to check it out, it's called Our Friend Travis, The Travis Alexander Story. There are countless TV shows, podcasts and interviews, YouTube videos, the works about Jodie's case. And I will be linking some of the interviews and her phone call to the detective where she was saying, could she help with the investigation? All of those things will be linked on the Cup of Coffee and Crime Facebook discussion group. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying being here, please leave a review on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Until next week, stay safe. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.